0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Ayer. Uh, we had some news in the Red Wings world for the first time this week, so we definitely are going to get to that. Uh, but in the time between when we're, when that news happened, uh, that being the Robbie Fabry contract and the recording of this podcast, some substantially bigger news started happening in, in the hockey world. First, it, it actually began in the NBA and WNBA uh, with the players in the NBA bubble deciding uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, first it was, to uh, strike basically their their playoff game against the Orlando Magic. That really quickly turned into really a, a league-wide and then kind of sports landscape-wide strike uh, in, in the wake of the Jacob Blake shootings uh, that did not uh, include the NHL at first on Wednesday night, and now uh, here at about 4.13 p.m., uh, Thursday, August 27th, it, it looks like the NHL now is also going to strike their games tonight. And uh, and so we wanted to kind of talk about the implications of that, uh, certainly as it relates to, to the hockey landscape and maybe a little bit broader. So after that uh, far too simplified uh, rundown, Prashant, uh, what's on your mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, we kind of addressed this uh, a couple months back to a certain extent when uh, the George Floyd... Um, you know, situation happened and, and he was murdered, uh, kind of at the hands of the police force there. And we talked a little bit about uh what that meant and what that means for American kind of, you know, almost to a certain extent, the that hundreds of years of this kind of stuff happening and how it seemingly just continues to happen. And and there was a great kind of a rallying around that uh, early on. There was a lot of protest. Protests continue to happen. Uh, on a daily basis but almost you know over the last couple of weeks it sort of felt like that momentum um for real change had kind of been curbed to a certain extent and you you saw this uh kind of creeping in a little bit when the bubbles were being formed you know Kyrie Irving took a lot of heat for saying uh you know I don't I don't think we should go to the bubble I don't think this is the right Uh, move at this time. And now, you know, ultimately earlier in the week, you have Jacob Blake kind of shot and uh, still alive, thankfully, uh, but shot at the hands of police officers and just an absolutely horrific video shot basically brought this back to the forefront. And, you know, really, I think it actually started with the Detroit Lions electing not to hold practice and, and, you know, making a statement outside of uh, Ford Field. And then, you know, the next day, the Milwaukee Bucks have refused to, you know, come out to play their game. And I think what it's done is it's brought this attention right back to the or brought the this issue right back to the forefront, as it should be, um, where these athletes and and oftentimes you'll have these people talk about sticking to sports, stay in your lane, things like that. You know, at the end of the day, these athletes are all human beings, all a part of the same society that you and I exist in that everyone listening to this podcast exists in, and everyone is entitled to their you know opinion on on what's happening here. You're not just an athlete, you're not just a jock, you're not just a person doing whatever you're doing you have The ability to influence and impact what happens in society and right now society is not protecting people that look like some of these athletes in the NBA that look like some of these athletes in the NHL, the MLB and the NFL and it's honestly got to stop. And so I applaud these guys for using their platform to, to stand up and say that. And and now the NHL today has come on board with the planned postponement of the games on Thursday night, as well as potentially Friday night. And So I think I just want to applaud all of the athletes that have, you know, when the politicians haven't done the work, when they you know, the Wisconsin uh, government hasn't met in three months to address anything uh, that's gone on here, it falls on the people to step up and do the right thing. And in this case, it's the athletes here.
0: Yeah, the reality of kind of with the stay in your lane uh, talk that's always been funny is, the, you know, this is everyone's lane, no matter uh, no matter what venue you know someone from. I mean, the, this is the real world and it, it, it does affect, uh, it should affect everyone emotionally and it affects certainly uh, black Americans to the degree that, you know, the epidemic of, police brutality against black Americans in, in, in this country, you know, it affects them a lot more directly, but, it, but I liked what Scott Burnside wrote in, in his column last night on the athletic, which is that it, it's critical that white players take up this charge too. And I think that was kind of one of the more disappointing things about the NHL, not immediately kind of joining the strike was, was that it, it seemed like once again, uh, all action to, to draw attention to demand change, um was gonna once again be left to you know players in leagues that are predominantly black and 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 after the NHL i do think went um yeah certainly they made efforts to to really publicly stand in solidarity with with people directly affected by police brutality and and with um people who who live with that fear every day i think when when the chance came to Put that into action and, and actually stand in solidarity. I do think it was a pretty big missed opportunity. I do know it was coming together somewhat quickly in some cases. Um, but certainly by the end of the night, it seemed like, you know, certainly the late game probably would have had time to join in, join that um, join that strike in, in, in solidarity. And, I, and I, so I felt like that was disappointing. And I, I will say I'll, I'll give credit where it's due that, that I think in doing it the next day, you'd, you'd have certainly liked it. The day before, and you know, whenever it, it takes a little extra, you have to wonder a little bit about how much of the the action was resulting from pressure. But uh, I I do think I'm willing to give kind of credit where it's due, and I am glad to see that that the players are are taking up this cause because I I think Scott was dead on with what he wrote last night, which is that this can't just be the fight of. Uh, Matt Dumba and Evander Kane and uh, Akima Yu and hockey. Like it, it, if 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 you're gonna say you stand with those players and you stand with what um, they believe, you actually have to do it, even when that means sitting out a game.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a really important point that you're bringing up there, Max. And I think uh, you know the comments that were made on on Wednesday night that oh, you know, we were waking up from our pregame nap, we didn't really know what was happening, we didn't have the time to process it. Well I mean look at look at what happened in the WNBA. I mean these these athletes they had their shirts, they had statements made, they were ready, you know, to go and when you know my understanding of what happened in the WNBA is there was one specific team the Atlanta Dream that really really pushed for this to happen, for this strike to happen and everyone got on board. Everyone got you know, followed suit, everyone understood the gravity of the situation. And I think that's what was sort of disheartening for me with the NHL players here is because over the hundreds of years that this has been happening, you've had black people stepping up to the platform, speaking out against the injustices that are happening and having that fall on deaf ears. Uh, And really what's going to drive substantial change at this point is the people that the the non black people of this country to step up and participate as allies and and what that means is it's not just words you can't put end racism on a on a jumbotron and say congratulations we did it uh, that doesn't work it's got to go beyond words it's got to go with action it's got to be honestly it's got to get to the point where this. You don't have to consult Ryan Reeves and ask, what should we do yeah. here? This should be something that's an injustice that everyone feels. You should recognize that the color of your skin right now is dictating how you experience the world. And you should be stepping up to the platform and saying, hey, everyone deserves the right to be treated equally and fairly, particularly in situations when a, when it involves the police officers right now, as that's been the magnified situation. But at the end of the day, this is something that has to come from within these white athletes, these non-black athletes, these non-black people really in particular, because, you know, athletes, this is a whole nother conversation. Athletes should have never had to be in the position to do what they did uh, yesterday on Wednesday, but ultimately the people in power have not done that uh, appropriately or really taken any sort of action. And so now it's kind of fallen on the common citizen to do that, and that's where the athletes have stepped up. But it's got to come from within. This can't just be, hey, what would you like for me to do here? Hey, how can I help you out today? It's got to be a true substantial drive to change, and that's got to start with each individual recognizing that right now, the color of your skin is dictating how you're treated, uh, not just in the United States. This goes for Canada too. You know, you look at some of the different racial instances that have happened in the Ontario Hockey League. You think back to, some of what Wayne Simmons experienced in his junior career and other black players have experienced in their junior careers with bananas being thrown at him. Think back to Giovanni Smith and some of the issues he dealt with, uh, in the OHL as well. So, you know, this isn't just a United States thing. This isn't just a black athlete thing. This isn't just a black person thing. This is a problem for every person on this planet right now. Uh, cause it's, it's, it's systemic and it's gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta change.
0: Absolutely. And that's where, you know, if, if we do give, Give the NHL players credit. It has to be with the caveat that it was a little late, and, and I still don't think they get as much credit as any other league does for this. I mean, it, it, it what it boils down to. I saw um, Dominic Smith, who plays for the New York Mets, and he, he gave a press conference last night, and it absolutely broke my heart. And kind of the money quote from it, the the one that really summed the whole thing up, I think, as as well as it as well as anything could have, was I think the most difficult part of it is to see that people still don't care. And I think that's the, the kind of, that's the kind of impression you give when, when you're the last league and the last teams and the last players to, to get on board with something that is sweeping the sports world like that. Like that's the message it sends is that, yeah, you know, it, it, we support you in, in statements, uh, but it's not our fight or something, right. Or, or. That's not the, the kind of message you want to send. And, and, and it's obviously morally, uh, you know, obviously, in terms of the, you know, the hockey is for everyone campaign, it, it, everything about it sends the, the message that your support is in, in, in text, sure, and in, in press releases and sometimes in really genuine quotes. But when it comes when, when the rest of everyone is doing something and you have to wait and make sure everyone else is going to do it first. Um, I do think it it lessens it lessens those words at at minimum.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's honestly the crux of the stick to sports uh stay in your lane argument. It's it's continue to serve as a distraction for me so that I don't have to face the reality of what's going on right now. And that's what you get with the people yelling, keep politics out of sports, keep you know, stay in your lane. It's the crux of I don't want to face this because I don't think this affects me. And that's that's a problem because this affects everybody, because everyone should believe in the right that every single person deserves the same treatment. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, the color of your skin. It doesn't matter, you know, your your gender, your orientation, nothing. None of that matters. You deserve you matter. You you deserve to be treated equally and fairly for who you are. And even if you, you know, you have a bunch of people trying to dig in, and this always happens in these cases where people are trying to dig into and discredit who a person is and, and somehow justify that that what happened to them uh, was was just and it was fair. And people have tried to do that with Jacob Blake and at the end of the day that doesn't matter. We have a judicial system and a legal system put in place to handle issues like that police officers don't get to be the judge, jury and executioner uh, on the spot and and the right to be able to be treated fairly even in that situation has to exist and by saying stick to sports by saying stay in your lane or keeping politics out of sports you're proactively looking for a way to not have to face that and that's why when the athletes take away sports we have to sit here and we have to talk about it because it is in our faces and that's that's the point that's that's why this is happening right now
0: I'm willing to be a little charitable uh, in some ways with the idea that people you know they don't necessarily understand the connection between the act of striking and, and sitting out um, or, or, or not allowing multiple days of sports to be played and not understanding how it affects change I'm, I'm willing to be charitable that that's like a genuine people don't always understand that. And, and it, you know, I, I think that's okay. People don't understand that. Um, what I think though, is that when you then become outspoken against it out of that misunder, out of that, you know, confusion, and, and you just don't understand how it works, maybe, maybe some of that stems from being overwhelmed by the magnitude of kind of the, the, the specter of, of racism and on all of its implications uh, especially when it comes to interactions with the state, like I, I get that that it's such a huge topic, right? And and so it it can be hard to know how one thing relates to the other, and I'm I'm willing to acknowledge it, that that it's it can be hard to kind of reconcile, you know, that. But but I think inherent in that is this idea that you don't want to engage with it, right? Like like it's it's too big to engage with, and. And even if that may be too big for it, kind of any one person on any one day to solve, or even, you know, Chris Weber the other day uh, said, you know, it, it's not going to solve it, right? But, you know, people are trying, right? And they're, they're doing something. They're Like, I, I just don't necessarily, I can't really relate to objecting to it on the grounds that it alone won't solve this. Does
1: that make sense? Yeah. And, and you know, quite honestly, if people are saying that argument, they're not paying attention, Uh, because the athletes aren't just saying, oh, we're going to strike and this is going to be what changes things. You've got LeBron James going out and organizing a voting rights group that's finding people to serve at poll places and poll stations in basically black, primarily black communities to help ensure that people have the right to vote and are able to vote. You've got Ford Field going out and announcing that we're going to serve as a Place where uh, as a polling location uh, come November, the Houston Rockets have followed suit. It's it's people are going out and then performing this action. You've now got reports that Michael Jordan is serving as a liaison between the players and the owners to help orchestrate the necessary change. You had the Milwaukee Bucks owners help get the Wisconsin government on the phone for the Milwaukee Bucks team in a matter of You know, minutes as soon as they announced that they weren't going to come out and play that basketball game. So you're you're if you're telling me that you don't think that this is going to change anything, you're not paying attention because they're not only are they putting their money where their mouth is, this strike is allowing them to draw attention to it. And then they're going out and being the ones to act on it when in reality they shouldn't have to be the ones they have a government in Wisconsin that hasn't met in three months uh, to deal with any of these gun violence Issues. Wisconsin doesn't even have a coronavirus pan- like plan in place because the government hasn't come to meet together. So yeah, the responsibility has fallen down and these people are now saying, we're going to take away this distraction of playing basketball and we're going to work on these issues because right now the people responsible are responsible or not, and we're going to bring this attention to the issue. And so I, you just can't say anything but good things about what they're doing right now. And honestly, people are grasping at straws when they say, I don't understand how this strike is impacting anything because all you have to do is look for the information.
0: The proof is right here, right? I mean, without the strike, we're talking about Robbie Fabry, 2.95 times two right now, right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about that. We're talking about Philip Zadina's debut
1: in an exhibition game because, you know, that it's easy. That's the distraction. But you know what, it's time for people to be uncomfortable. It's time for people to face the reality of what's happening here. You can't hide behind the distraction of asking these athletes to go out and play sports for entertainment while also not recognizing that they are human beings watching their brothers and sisters being killed unfairly. And, and there will, you
0: know, this is not the end of sports in America. You know, it, it's like, it's 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 basically... It's it's not. I don't I don't think it's a, a grave dereliction of duty, you know, or a or a willful rejection by by them. I, I mean, this is like you said. It's it's an extremely human reaction, and it's impressive to have kind of the fortitude for the players, especially knowing the Bucks were the ones who originated. This was not a NBA mandate, right? Like the the players, the people. This was not like corporate, you know, sanitized. PR, like this was the Milwaukee Bucks. This was the players.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's the beauty of what the the NBA, the WNBA, even uh, you know some of these NFL teams, particularly the Lions, who kind of kicked everything off. This was a player driven, you know, stance. The NHL now has kind of come down as the league and kind of took the decision um, to postpone the games, uh, you know, on Thursday and Friday, but. I mean, you have Naomi Osaka, who's the highest paid women's athlete in the world, you know, saying she's going to withdraw from her semifinal, although ultimately she agreed to play it on Friday. You've got Maya Moore, who was the best WNBA basketball player in the world, who stepped away from the game a few years back to work on this issue. And now you're sort of seeing that come to fruition with what the WNBA players were able to stand up and do uh, yesterday. And so you just have to, you've got nothing to do besides applaud the players for what they've been able to to do an orchestrate um, you know, just by recognizing the platform that they have and, and bringing light to this uh, to these issues.
0: Yeah. I I think this was kind of the first test since what seemed like a fairly, maybe the biggest, I think it's fair to call it that like kind of public reckoning on, on these issues that, that happened in, in, I think it was June. Um, I think it's fair to say this is the first kind of test of, did you mean it? Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. I mean, you had a lot of athletes talking, particularly in the NHL, saying, you know, we're going to educate ourselves. So I've got a lot to learn. We recognize that this is a huge problem. Time for the test. Like, this is the time for the test. And that's why I think, you know, even though the NHL has made the decision here on to postpone the games Thursday and Friday, it's late. You, you failed the test on Wednesday by saying you didn't have enough time. And And that's, that's what's so disappointing. And that's what, even though they come around to the correct decision, it sort of feels a little misguided and misplaced and a little too late. Um, That being said, you know, you'll still ultimately give credit for doing the right thing. It's just, it just feels different. And I think that's, that's the frustrating part about all
0: of this for me. Yeah. I I think that's, that's well said. I mean, I, I think uh, there's, there's, there is something to be said for the fact that it, it they did it, and there was a time last night where you could have easily expected that with the way you know that they went they went ahead with it last night. It, you could have expected that it would have been the same today. So I am willing to give that credit, but um, yeah, I think it was the first kind of the, the first kind of test of of if they would put their money where their mouth was, and and I don't think they failed it f- blatantly, but I certainly don't think they they passed it with flying colors.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the right way to put it. And ultimately, again, you know, it did fall on the Hockey Diversity Alliance to drive this ship. It fell on Matt Dumba to call it out on Wednesday night. Yes. It fell on, you know, Ryan Reeves to almost tell these players what, you know, you had multiple players apparently approached Ryan Reeves and asked kind of what we should do. So, you know, it still ultimately fell down to the the black players yeah. to be the ones to say this is what needs to happen or this is what I'm, I'm, I'm feeling we need to do. And and again, you applaud the NHL for making the right decision. You want them to now learn from this and say, all right, now, you know, we need to recognize that there's this grave racial disparity happening, uh, you know, all over the world, but particularly in the United States and Canada for these athletes. And we need to be able to speak up, use our own voices and recognize the injustice for ourselves and recognize what needs to be done without having to always rely on the black players to drive this.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe that is a better way to put it. Maybe they did fail it blatantly last night, kind of bailed out in that sense by by their black players and the ones who have already been so outspoken on this issue. And and the and the next test is can you do it without needing that that blatant nudge from the people who are most affected? Can can your allyship stand on its own without without being so clearly nudged?
1: Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. And that's why this was the test um, for those that said they were educating and learning from what happened with George Floyd. But, you know, that's the thing Th- these tests, they can, they continue to come up and they continue to come up. I mean, just think about the number of major incidents we've had just in 2020, you know, with Ahmad Arbery, with George Floyd, with this case now with Jacob Blake. I mean, the tests keep coming. And at some point you got to step up and deliver and you can't just, this is why the words fall on deaf ears. And so ultimately for me, it's going to be the NHL taking an L last night, ultimately recovering on the backs of their black players to, you know, do the right thing today. But at some point they got to pass one of these tests.
0: Yeah,
1: I agree. Anything else that, uh, that you, that you want to say on this topic? No, I mean, honestly, I I hope that some good comes of this, that the NHL players recognize that it's not purely the act of sitting out the game and playing and that they use their platform to continue to educate, to continue to drive change. You know, Tyler Sagan was talking about a lot of different things that he had wanted to do. It's time to do it. It's time for the action. So I hope something positive comes out of this Uh, from the NHL standpoint. You know, the NBA is well on their way. The WNBA is well on their way. Sounds like some of Major League Baseball is getting there as well, uh, with some games being canceled today. So, you know, I just hope that the athletes recognize the bigger situation here and aren't just kind of going through the motions with, hey, we just need to do this too.
0: Yeah. All right. Then we will get into uh, some of the hockey topics, which suddenly feel a hell of a lot less important than they did uh, on Monday afternoon when when there was some news. But uh, let's take a quick break for for a message and then and then we'll get into it. Okay, we will get into the hockey now. So, uh, after what has felt like so little news for so long on the Red Wings, um, you know, first of all, it was Monday, right around noon, I think it was, that Filip Zadina finally got into his first game uh, on loan to, to Trinich, and it was about a minute and seventeen seconds after that that he, he scored his first goal, and then eleven minutes or so after that that he scored his second. Um, what I kind of termed a loud debut for him in the Checkley. I think he only played two periods, about 15 minutes, but uh, two goals for him. What is, what, if anything, does this mean for uh, Philip Zadina? And what's kind of your your reaction out of this?
1: I mean, it, you know, it's encouraging that Zadina was able to get himself on the score sheet, I think, almost immediately. Uh, I think, you know, Max, in your article, you talked about this a little bit, that You know, his head coach really appreciated how much work he had put in on his upper body. um, And that kind of allowed him to be a little bit more physical, allowed him to kind of withstand some of the hits that he was taking. He wasn't so easily displaced from the puck. Um, You know, playing 15 minutes through two periods is a big amount of minutes. I think the only reason he didn't play the third is he felt that he had tweaked something and just didn't want to push it. Yes. Uh, But, you know, in an an exhibition game against a a Czech extra-league team, I mean, Two goals is good. The Czech extra league is, you know, a shade maybe below the DEO where Tim Stutzla and Moritz Sider have played. So it's a solid league, and uh, it's it's encouraging to see him get out there and score. Um, obviously, the test is that much more difficult when you come back to the NHL, but all you're looking for right now is for Zadina to just continue to get game action, not necessarily learn any bad habits, and, and kind of follow through on that two-way game you want to see him develop.
0: Yeah, so so his coach is Vaclav Verada, who who did play, uh, I think, almost 500 NHL games. He uh, he's coached Zadina in, in international play with the U18 Worlds and, and World Juniors. So I think his perspective on Zadina's growth um, is is an important one because he knew Zadina as as a, as a younger player and as a top prospect. And you know, as he put it, like they knew he had a good shot. They knew he could score goals, but improved speed. Uh, improved ability to kind of handle body checks at speed. And I I think that matters a lot for his NHL readiness. Uh, On the two goals, the the, the goals themselves, um, have you seen the videos by now? Yeah, yeah, I saw them both. I mean, so uh, one of the things I was kind of looking at is we we can talk about kind of quality of league, and and we should, and it's important to it as we try to interpret things. Um, two goals in, in the game in any pro league is, is a good day no matter what. It's, it's just, rel, you know, it's all relative of, of how good. But one of the things I was kind of looking at was how did these two goals, like do either of them happen in the NHL? What's kind of your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that first one seems like a sharp angle rebound. I mean, you know, that one's a little tricky because I think in the NHL that puck gets cleared away. I don't know that that's ever really sitting around the net. Uh, you know, for that one. I think one it was a game. pass, actually. I do think it was a cross. Oh, was it a pass? pass? It was kind of tough but he was to tell so on the open. video. He was so open. <laughs> right. Like, he's so open yeah. on that video. He catches a sharp angle, throws it in. I mean, maybe that happens, but, you know, I don't love the goaltender's push across the crease there. I think that's one of the biggest things that gets discounted is just the quality of goalie that you see yep. uh, in the Czech Extra League. I think there's a huge gap between that and an NHL goalie, uh, given that the goalie position really gets selected down to you know, arguably the top 60 goalies in the world uh, are playing in the NHL and everyone else is kind of dispersed elsewhere. So uh, I don't think that first goal happens, and really I don't think that second goal happens. That's kind of a long-range wrist shot. I mean, it's tough to tell how much of that screen, uh, you know, really played a a part in that shot. Like maybe the goalie didn't see it, maybe they couldn't, but I would expect that shot to get saved, you know, 97%
0: of the time in the NHL. What I did like about it, though, the the second one especially, is the defender moves his stick, right? He's defending the inside lane, and he takes a swipe. And the second that the defender's stick vacates that lane through his legs, the puck is through his legs. Like It was great reaction time, great awareness by Zadina to recognize when that opportunity presented itself. Um, And then it goes in the net. And, And like you said, I don't know if it ends up in the back of the net in the NHL. But uh, I liked that as soon as the lane vacated, that puck was was in it, right? Like it was not the kind of delay that you couldn't envision happening uh, in you know in, in the NHL. So or does it go between the legs or does it go around him? I can't really tell. But either way, the, once the lane was vacated, it was, the shot was taken. The first one, I, I think the, the other thing about it, I, I agree. The first one I don't think goes in. I think the goalie is in a better position in a NHL game. But I also think Zadina put it in the exact right spot to give himself a chance at it um now on a play like that like within how many inches is he placing it like with with precision i'm not totally sure um but you know i, I think between the two like they're both um they both showed something encouraging and and i i still think ultimately the more encouraging thing is is what what Vaclav Verada said about uh his his physicality and his speed and those improvements that um you know those obviously are never going to show up in, in themselves on a box score uh, but are, are as important to me as, as either of the two goals, especially when you consider like y- you just don't know how play to play any one goal is going to translate from league to league.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. I think the important thing to take away from that is not what he does on the score sheet, but how he looks and and, and how he continues to play. And so, you know, I think that's, that's the key for the Red Wings right now is to just have them continue to get – uh, good minutes in the games look impressive and hopefully, you know, light it up on the score sheet, but that's not how I would judge him.
0: Yeah. I think certainly in Detroit, everyone would love for him to be two goals every game, uh, in, in, as long as he is loaned there. But in reality, um, if he's red, if he comes into camp and, and he's just hit the ground running and he's ready to battle, you know, those scores really, you're never going to be kind of held against him though. Certainly I think they can quell a lot of people who are having, uh, a lot of Quinn Hughes thoughts right now. I mean, that seems to be the the predominant vibe. I mean, there's even in some of the comments on that story. One of the, one of them was, "I hope Zadina can close the gap on Quinn Hughes, or it's going to be hard to watch him for the next ten years." I mean, I, I get it. I get it that a player drafted one after him, but um, you know, let let them be two separate players. Let them have their own careers. I still think Zadina's a really good player, and and I don't think that because of the the, the Czech League game, but it certainly doesn't doesn't uh, convince otherwise.
1: Yeah. I mean, people are always going to naturally tie this back to to Quinn Hughes. And again, it's, it's just so important to stress that you didn't know. I think Hughes was underrated relative to where he went. Um, He should never have gone seven, but that being said, Zadina was uh, arguably the third best prospect in that draft and probably shouldn't have been there at six either. So, uh, you know, if you're Detroit, I think you, you still feel good about the decision you made. I think it's far too early to write off Philip Zadina and yes, Quinn Hughes looks impressive. Yes. I think, uh, he's an outstanding defenseman and will continue to be an outstanding defenseman, but don't write off Philip Zadina here. And at the end of the day, if you're getting a top six, forward that can score 30 goals for you, which is what I think Phillip Zadina can be. That is still a very valuable player to be getting at sixth in that draft.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I I I know that the the redraft and look, I'm part of the media machine that makes the redraft such a, a proliferated thing. But you know, there, is there any doubt that just goes top three in a redraft? I don't think there is.
1: No, I mean, I think he very easily goes top three in a redraft. But you know, that being said, uh, he's probably third, and Zadina's is probably fourth. So. Uh, Brady Kachuk has a, has something to say about that. Yeah, I think. I think I'd still take Zadina at this point. I know Brady Kachuk right. has obviously had a bigger impact in the NHL thus far, but I think Zadina's ceiling is uh, far higher. And so at, at worst, you're still talking about Zadina being five and Hughes being three because uh, you're still not taking Hughes above Sveshnikov. And I think Rasmus Dahlin is a better defenseman than than Hughes. You just don't get to see it because he plays in Buffalo. So, um uh, you know, I, I, I still don't think the gap is that big. It looks big right now because of where they're at. Let Zedina get a full season in. Uh, let the Wings put some more talent around him. And I bet that starts to look a little bit
0: better. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, moving into kind of the news, it was, I think it was like two hours later. I was actually in the car when it happened. Um, Robbie Fabry signs his new contract with the Red Wings. It's uh, the it's the first, uh, I mean, Evgeny Svechnikov, so I guess the second uh, of the RFA deals to get done, the first multi-year of them, um, and I would say probably comes in as maybe the third most important of the RFAs behind Mantha and Bertuzzi. Not that we really need to rank them; I, we don't need to rank everything. Uh, but you know, nonetheless, uh, it, the significance being it's one of their more important RFA contracts. Two years, two point nine five million dollars a year. Interesting wrinkle that Cap Friendly pointed out um, makes him an unrestricted free agent at the end of it. I think it came in about a half million dollars higher than Evolving Hockey had projected uh, for Fabry, but nonetheless, I think when you look at how much space the Red Wings have, uh, I don't think the half million dollars matters a ton. What are your main takeaways out of out of this whole contract?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great deal for both sides here. I think for the Red Wings, you know, you wanted to lock up Fabry because he's going to be a kind of integral piece in the arguably top nine for them, especially over the next couple of years. But I think the challenge for the Red Wings was recognizing that while Fabry is a young player, he does have a significant injury history and thus far in his career hasn't really demonstrated the ability to have significant on-ice impacts. And so recognizing that and recognizing kind of what you need from him over the next few years, you probably didn't want to put him on a long-term contract. You probably wanted to get him, you know, a one or two year deal, let him show you that one, he can stay healthy and two, that he can have positive impacts. And if he does, then as a 26 year old unrestricted free agent, you can maybe think about a a little bit longer of a contract, uh, potentially a three or four year deal if he's willing to go for it. At the same time, if he doesn't find a way to substantially improve his on ice impacts, he still remains kind of a net neutral player. Uh, and he or, or he just doesn't find a way to stay healthy, you're not locked into anything long term. The the worst thing for the Red Wings right now, as they're kind of clearing out some of these bad cap hits, is to add another Justin Abdulkader or Jonathan Erickson type contract. A contract where the player either has injuries or deprecates far too fast uh, for that contract to end up being worthwhile. And now you've got dead money tied up again. So I think coming in at 2.95 million is fine. Uh, I think Fabry was so bad in the early part of St. Louis in his first nine games with the blues that it kind of drags down some of the numbers you look at. And he was actually, you know, okay uh, with the Red Wings over the course of the season. So I think give him a full year with these two, with this two year deal. I think you're going to get a good show me contract from Fabry side, uh, as well as the Red Wings side without having any long-term kind of cap
0: implications. Yeah. I I think there's, there's two ways to look at it. There's just in the total vacuum, like Yeah, I think it's fair to say if the Toronto Maple Leafs had given Fabry this deal, there'd be a little more frustration because of what role he would have had on the Toronto Maple Leafs or even the Tampa Bay Lightning. On the Red Wings, he was their fourth leading scorer last year tied with Philip Hironik, and you expect him to be probably your fifth best offensive player this year. If you're paying your fifth best offensive player less than $3 million, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, And that's why the term was the key, because what it did is it it preserved flexibility. There's a decent chance Robbie Fabry is your fifth best offensive player for both of those two years on his contract. Um, Maybe maybe he really, you know, ultimately last year he scored 14 goals in 52 games. If if he's a 20-goal player uh, for next year and the year after, you've absolutely gotten your money's worth.
1: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And, you know, for what it's worth, if you go to, you know, piece this out here, right – if you look at his goals above replacement for 60 minutes last year from evolving hockey, he's 246th amongst forwards. You go and you look at his contract for next year, he's 184th. So sure, you can call it maybe a slight overpay, but again, it's not any sort of- But a lot of those
0: are ELCs too. Right.
1: A lot of them are still ELCs and and, and that's the thing. Like I just, I don't think it's as gross of an overpay as people tend to make it. And ultimately that contract for the Red Wings has a very different value than that contract for Vegas, for Toronto, for Boston, any one of those Stanley Cup contending teams.
0: There's also the fact that he he could play center. I mean, to to your point, I think most real contract albatrosses are albatrosses because of the term and not the dollar. But you know, even even if you want to say that the dollar is a little high, if he plays center for more than half of this season, suddenly the value dynamic has changed there too. And and Fabry did talk in in his press conference right after the contract was announced. Um, you know, he, he, he views center as, as, as having been his natural position growing up. He hasn't played it in the NHL, um, but he did talk about what he likes about playing center, playing with the puck, playing in the middle of the ice um, and both of those things. So I think that's fair to say that if, if he plays any significant center this year, it raises his value uh, quite a bit, especially, you know, knowing that, that that means kind of he's he's your facilitator and, and, and also kind of offensive partner potentially for Philip Zadina.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And and so I think there's a lot of potential value here and, and you're sort of hoping that, you know, now in his second year back from this nasty ACL injury, you're hoping that he starts to find some of that game that made him such a dynamic rookie because if so, you've now got a guy that can potentially yeah. play your second line center that's giving you productive minutes that's, you know, twenty four years old and and not on a bad contract. So
0: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. It's also, I mean, not that not that the Red Wings can trade literally everyone. It's also a super tradable contract now, right? Like the, the it seems like the 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 new in vogue contract isn't the contract year player. It's the player with one and a half years left at the trade deadline.
1: Not yeah. I mean, that's absolutely the case. And not only that, he's a depending on the Red Wings protection strategy for Seattle. If you don't like what you get out of this year, he's a guy you can leave exposed. So. To, to give consideration to here. But ultimately, I think it's a, a really solid deal for both sides. And I think there's a chance for both sides to walk away from this in a better
0: position. The only other thing I think we need to talk about on this contract, and, and because of, of the Manta and Bertuzzi contract still being out there, um, is whether there, this should provide any kind of insight. Does it mean anything for those two contracts? Uh, what do you? Th- I mean, I think that's kind of a, one of the obvious kind of next questions after this comes up. Does anything stand out to you in that realm?
1: No, I mean, I don't think this contract has any sort of implication on the Bertuzzi or the Manta contracts, because I think Fabry was a different kind of assessment of what Fabry's role is going to be for the short term and the long term. I think, you know, most Red Wings fans and, and probably the front office would consider Manta and Bertuzzi long term components. Uh, for the Red Wings, whereas Fabry may not fall in that long-term realm there. So I think the way they think about the Bertuzzi-Mantha contracts is very different than the way they thought about the Fabry deal.
0: Yeah, there are some contracts in the NHL that it's impossible to argue affect each other. You look at, or that that they affect each other. You know, you look at the Matthews and Marner ones in Toronto last year and it, it would be really hard to say that Austin Matthews's contract had no impact on what Mitch Marner's contract ended being. That said, like, Certainly I don't, I wouldn't classify these, you know, Fabrion, on Bertuzzi and Manta. I don't even know that I would classify Manta's or Bertuzzi's contracts having that much of an effect on each other just because at the end of the day, they're both top line players right now. But but I do think it's fair to say that like Anthony Manta is kind of a, has, has a chance at least to be a a like true first line player on on a really good team. Whereas if the Red Wings were a contender, I think every single good team needs Tyler Bertuzzi on it, every single one or someone like him. You're seeing it in Tampa right now with with how big of additions uh, Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow have been. And I think you know, I think Bertuzzi's probably – I think he's probably a similar caliber player to, to Blake Coleman where he can be that, that awesome kind of second line um, playoff type player. But I do think those are kind of – is it fair? To, is that fair? Am I, am I selling Bertuzzi short? Or are they kind of just in kind of different brackets of, of roster construction? To me, I think Mantha's in a in a higher bracket
1: than than Tyler Bertuzzi. I think Mantha is an incredibly dynamic uh player who's arguably, you know, one of the top ten wingers in the NHL when he's healthy and rolling. And so I don't put Bertuzzi in that category. And to me, if you're evaluate kind of evaluating them for the Red Wings, I would put Mantha in that this is a core elite player that needs to be locked up on a long-term deal, and Bertuzzi's in that next tier down where this is a really good supporting player range.
0: I mean, we are talking about Bertuzzi as he was the second leading scorer on this team. But when you look at Mantha, he he's probably, if he plays a full season, he's probably like a 70 point player. And based on kind of how things had been, had been pacing for him. And so um, I certainly, I actually count Tyler Bertuzzi as a core player. I really do. I think he's that important to kind of the identity of the team and, and to, to what they're trying to build. Um, but just in terms of, of the kind of contracts, like Anthony Mantha's is a player that I think we've talked about potentially getting into the $7 million range for a contract. Um, and, and so maybe, maybe in terms of if Mantha's deal goes first, his could kind of where his ends up could, could, you know, be some kind of um, unofficial, uh, you know, kind of, Marker of, of, of relative value. But I certainly don't think if Bertuzzi's deal goes first, that it's like man, this is going to be somewhere around there. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you're looking for a contract that's going to affect what Mantha and Bertuzzi get, I think it's the Dylan Larkin contract. Yeah.
0: Great um, point. And I
1: think more than anything, I would expect Steve Eisman to benchmark and, and see if he can get to, to buy in at 6 1, which would be an absolute bargain. And for Bertuzzi, kind of leveraging that, hey, you're not going to really sniff this territory right now. Um, So I would expect if any contract has an impact on these guys, it's actually the Larkin contract. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with negotiations. But that's the one that I think kind of stands out as this could actually impact whether they get less than what we're expecting.
0: I also don't think the fact that um, the evolving hockey model was about a half million low on Fabry necessarily has uh, much like – predictive, uh, like it, it you, you can't just one for one say, okay, so it'll be about a half million low on, on Mantha Bertuzzi either.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think there's a, there's a mean absolute error you get with some of these predictions, some a little bit low, some a little bit high, uh, but generally they're, they're, they're pretty close to the mark, usually within 500 K. So it'll be interesting to see what we get from here, but the ones that do tend to break their models are Steve Eisenman contracts. So <laughs>
0: Uh, I will say just cuz I know people will be curious the evolving hockey model has Bertuzzi projected uh, at 4 years 5.3 million Manta at 4 years 6.53 million um but if, if Manta's deal goes longer let's say it's a 6 year deal they actually have it at 7.2 million or at 5 years 6.76 uh so to me those those lengths make more sense I don't think you're I don't think you want to go too mid too too short with Manta I, I wouldn't do that uh, so, but just for context, I, I figured people would be curious about what, uh, what the, what the model projected for those guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I can see anything as short as a three or four year deal. If they're worried about his entry, we can go to seven or eight. So it'll be interesting.
0: Yeah. And we'll certainly be, uh, be talking about them more, um, as, as they roll along. Hopefully, uh, there is a, a similarly uh, Red Wings newsy week uh, to come soon here so we can be back at you. But we really do appreciate you tuning in and uh, and we'll talk to you soon uh, again.